Kids, your mom is right when she says, don't grumble. Grumbling is never a good thing, especially in the Bible. Grumbling is never a good thing. The whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the men God had sent to them. Grumbling in Greek sounds like what it means. Muttering, murmuring, complaining, gogoso, gogoso. Something like that is what that Greek word sounds like. In the Bible, it's associated with unbelief, with not bending your choices to match your convictions, with saying God really can't provide for me in my circumstances or doesn't care or isn't faithful. We'll hear this next week in the gospel where the same Greek word is translated as murmuring. The Jews murmured about Jesus because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Stop murmuring, Jesus told them. Now look at the context of the Israelites grumbling. God was drawing them away from an evil and inhumane way of life towards a higher way of life and covenant with him, with just laws greater moral demands, increased responsibility, and a heightened participation in the drama of salvation and making all things new. And how do the Israelites respond? Thanks, but no thanks. If our stomachs are full, we're content with evil and a smaller way of life. Apparently God isn't interested in reducing our horizons, but in expanding them calling us to a more exalted, profound, and rewarding way of life. When that's met with smallness of spirit or worldview that excludes the higher spiritual values, grumbling and dissatisfaction emerge. It reminds me of St. Ignatius of Loyola, whose feast day was just yesterday. Remember St. Ignatius and the story about him, his conversion? He was a 16th century Spaniard. He was in love with knighthood and chivalry and wooing women. In his last battle, he was wounded terribly by a cannonball, just fractured his leg, and he was captured. But his captors were so impressed with his skill and his courage that they let him go. Ignatius had a habit of reading books that were about knights and women and a little smutty. And so while he was recovering in the hospital, well, he asked the sisters for one of those books. And surprisingly, they didn't have one to offer him. So they gave him what they did, a life of Christ, a book on the life of Christ, and a book on the saints. And he said that he read those books and he noticed afterwards that when he would meditate on those stories about knighthood and wooing women, he was excited and then afterwards became weary and darkness set in. Whereas as he meditated on the lives of the saints and thought, could I do what St. Dominic and St. Francis did? He was excited, which didn't give way to weariness or darkness, but a sense of contentment, peace, joy. It's very similar to what goes on inside of us. Even just if we mentally give in to anger, 
to resentment, to lust. There can be this initial energy or excitement which gives way to sadness. I often ask the kids when they come to confession, say, I've lied, I've been mean, I've been disobedient. I'll say, so how did that make you feel? Good or not so good? Not so good, Father, not so good. No, it's because those choices that correspond to a worldview, it is different than that which God has stamped in our nature. Those choices don't correspond to how he's imagined us and darkness, dissatisfaction, grumbling sets in. God isn't interested in reducing our horizons, but in expanding them, calling us to a more exalted, profound, and rewarding way of life. When that's met with smallness of spirits or a worldview that excludes the higher spiritual values, grumbling and dissatisfaction emerge. This also reminds me of the communist regime in Poland in 1979, at the time of John Paul II's first visit to his homeland. The communists attempted to methodically sever the Poles from their national, cultural, and religious identity, undermine a people's history and culture, and you can make them vulnerable change their worldview from one that includes the spiritual to one that contains only the material flesh pots and bread, and you can demoralize them and control them. To that end, the communists radically limited religious freedom, restricted church construction, and excised religion from the schools. In preparation for the Pope's visit, the regime sent out a secret set of instructions to all the country's teachers, which in part read, because of the activation of the church in Poland, our activities designed to atheize, make atheists of the youth, not only cannot diminish, but must intensely develop. In this respect, all means are allowed and we cannot afford any sentiments, exceptions, compromises. That doesn't sound altogether different from what's happening in our country and elsewhere. In our schools, with our history and culture, and with our spiritual, moral, and religious values. But far more successful than the communists have been consumerism and sports. Just think about how many families voluntarily give up religious practices on Sundays for flesh pots and bread, for shopping and athletic contests, for a smaller, more diminished way of living. Long ago did John Adams, a founding father and our second president, warn that we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Friends, the Polish people in large part overthrew the communists by recovering their own authentic identity, by reclaiming their true history and culture, by dismantling false worldviews and by pursuing their call to greatness. That was the gift of John Paul II, the gift that he gave them when he returned. 
and it was the mission he gave them too. This is your country. You must take responsibility for it. Your worldview is true. False ones can be overcome. His pattern was a pattern rooted in the Bible and held out to his fellow Poles as an uncompromising challenge, like Jesus in our gospel, who would not cave in to the crowd's initial demand for that which will never ultimately satisfy the human heart. And I would suggest to you, dear American Catholics, that our patron has provided a near perfect pattern for the significant challenges we face too.